Blog Talk Radio. you'll hear during our show today. Welcome, folks, and uh, we, uh, the Airline Radio Hour proudly presents another in the series that we've been doing, Gone But Not Forgotten Airlines, and the uh, show today, which is episode 54, or correction, 57, is all about Braniff, and it's a very colorful airline, as you'll hear. Uh, we've done episode 54, which was TWA. Uh, Transworld Airlines, and we've done Pan American, and uh, last week we did National Airlines, and today it's Brandon's time. Uh, we've had great guests and history and memories by former employees of these airlines uh, that uh, that have been on the uh, show with us. My name is Neil Holland, a retired captain with Eastern Airlines and producer of the show, and if you'd like to call in and talk with our guest and host uh, or to Add our com- add your comments. Uh, you can dial two one three area code two one three eight one six 
1611. And the producer, yours truly, will see your number on my board, my caller's board. And I'll open up your microphone, which is your telephone, and bring you right into the conversation. And let me repeat one more time. The number is 213-816-1611. You know, we are a satellite-based radio show. We're not Earth-based. We're way up there somewhere circling the Earth, and we're, that's why we're carried around the world. And over 50 countries have been listening in regularly. We've been doing this for over 11 years now, and and since we have callers and listeners from all airlines, we, we thought it would be great to do a series of little-known facts about the airlines that are no longer flying the skies, and we call them gone but not forgotten. Now, I see on my board that our host today, uh, first of all, Captain Jim Holder, he's somewhere in Georgia. Hello, Jim. How are you? I'm doing fine. Hello, everybody. Where is somewhere in Georgia? About the middle of it. No, it's a little north part, Atlanta. <laughs> I think okay. it's a lot. Well, hell, I don't know where it is. It's somewhere in North Georgia. <laughs> this ought to be a good, good hour, folks. This ought to be good. <laughs> well, I know, I know, north of the border, Jim, we've got Brenda Chabot, and she's north of the border. So, hello, Brenda. Where exactly are you north of the border? <laughs> hello, Neil, and hello, everyone. Uh, just on about an hour north of Toronto, up in what's called the Caledon Hills. Oh, yeah. okay. I, Canada's got hills? <laughs> okay. Oh, we do. <laughs> got some mountains out west. And trees but, and lakes. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> okay, and uh, over in a place where I used to call home and commuted while I was flying with the airlines, uh, Pensacola, Florida is Margaret Bars. Hello, Margaret, and I think you've got uh, with you your BFF. <laughs> yes, I do. Hello, Captain Neil. Hello, everyone, and hello, all you hosts. And hello, hello. Luann. <laughs> okay. Well, since you've got Luann there, hello, Luann. Hey, Captain Neil. Now, you know... I don't know, but I called in on the show, and I hope you ain't going to call me Miss Wiggins again. Nope, nope, I won't. Okay, because if you start calling me Lou Ann Miss Wiggins, I'm going to start calling you Captain Holland. Oh, we don't want to do that, so let's... uh... Let's stay civil here. All right. So another. <laughs> okay, and then let's see. We got uh, thank Captain Jim Harris, and um, he's uh, well. He used to be in Tennessee and moved over to Texas. Hello, Jim. Hey, well, yeah, Captain Holland. Yes, I'm in Dripping Springs, Texas, <laughs> West Austin, about 20 miles. I got a I got a nice little house on a hill over here. Okay, and a pretty darn good place. Pretty good place to live. Everybody else didn't like it so much. It's getting <laughs> okay. way overcrowded. <laughs> all right, very good. Well, our hosts are all here, and if uh, if anyone listening would like to call in and add your two cents or three cents or whatever you got in your pocket, uh, welcome aboard. It's two one three. Eight one six one six one one. Easy number to remember. 
Now, let's see if we can get something that sounds like Braniff here. Neil, this is Luann. I, of course, you could never tell, could you? But anyway, oh, no, no. <laughs> I've been <laughs> I've been thinking all week about last week's radio show. Well, that must have kept you busy, Luann. All week? How so? Well, sir, you know we talked a lot about the advertising that National did about creating that. Line me, I'm Luann commercial. Hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. Uh, Luann, <laughs> I don't remember fly me, I'm Luann in that line of aircraft commercials. Come on there, gal. Now, Captain Jim, I was just putting my name out there to tell you what I think about them commercials. That was all. Well, Luann, how would you have changed that? Very successful advertising campaign. Brenda, this is Margaret. I'm going to jump in here right now. You know that whatever Luann comes up with has definitely or is definitely going to do with Kentucky Up Air Airlines. <laughs> okay, Margaret, you're about to become my ex-BFF. But, yes, you are part right. It does involve Kentucky Up Air. Now, as you know, the airline we're doing today, Branagh's, had an ancestor of the great patriot, Paul Revere, as its founder. Well, I was thinking about going to my Kentucky Up Air founder, who also shares the name of one of the inventors of the airplane, Orville Wright. 
Now, our founder was Orville P. Livergood. Ain't that a co-linky dink? We simply referred to him as Opito. You know, like Sheriff Andy's little boy, Opie on Maybury. <laughs> Come on, come on now, Luann. We got a show to do today. <laughs> Get to the point. Okay, Captain Neil, I will. Now, I'm going to get serious here because tomorrow I'm going to go talk to Mr. Oscar Perkins, our Director of Marketing and Advertising Campaign, and I'm just going to wow him with my proposal, which is this. Now, I'll agree to let Kentucky Up Our use my name if they'll put it on the side of our little red jet. And, oh, I can just see it now. I'm so excited. Fly me, Luann. Just jump on board. Because, you know, we only got one stewardess, one captain, and one co-pilot, so you jump at your own risk. <laughs> the Braniff Promise. We promise to knock ourselves out to be the world's friendliest, most professional airline personnel. We promise to provide frequent schedules throughout the U.S. and to Europe, Asia, Mexico, South America. We promise to do everything we can to run an on-time airline. We promise to provide quick, accurate ticket purchase and check-in. We promise to hail your bags with care and deliver them promptly. We promise to serve some of the best food you've ever eaten on any airline. We promise to fly young, beautifully decorated airplanes. We promise to fly meticulously maintained airplanes. We promise to answer our phones and provide information promptly. We promise to offer bargain vacation fares to every brand of city. We hereby promise to make every effort to give the best airline service in the world. And when you make promises like these, you better be better. They're young. They're beautiful. And they're so clean, so attractively dressed. It's a pleasure to go places with them. Such energy such vitality. Distance means nothing to them. The country, the world is theirs. They're on the go, all day, every day. Whenever you turn around, they're taking off for somewhere. They're young, they're beautiful. They're Braniff 747s and 727s, among the newest, most beautiful fleets in the airline industry, because Braniff promises to do everything possible to give you the best airline service in the world. We better be better. fly to over 50 major cities in the U.S. Nine countries in South America, Mexico, principal capitals in Europe, major cities in the Pacific, and the Far East. And to every one of them, we promise to do everything we can to give you the best airline service in the world. When you make promises like we do, you better be better. We better be better. We better be better. 
commercial. Uh, yeah, a long one, too. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Brenna. <laughs> okay, I'm going to give a little history here on Brannis. Two brothers, a dreamer and a pragmatist, joined forces to create one of the world's leading airlines, Braniff Airways. From humble beginnings that began as an aero club in Oklahoma City in 1927, Braniff grew to become a multinational corporation that flew throughout the continental United States, Canada, and Mexico, from the U.S. mainland to South America, and across both the Pacific and the Atlantic. Those brothers, Paul Revere Braniff, the dreamer and aviator, and Thomas Elmer Braniff, the pragmatist, who had already created a burgeoning insurance empire, had the courage and foresight to become early pioneers in America's burgeoning aviation industry. Their first venture, called Paul R. Braniff, Inc., formed in the spring of 1928 and took took to the air on its maiden flight on June 20, 1928, was one five-passenger, single-engine Stinson Detroiter. The new airline flew oil company executives between Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, where Braniff was based, to Tulsa, Oklahoma, the heart of the Oklahoma oil boom. The airline was completely dependent on passenger fares for its existence. A large aviation holding company that was hoping to build an air and rail network from coast to coast purchased Paul R. Braniff, Inc. in 1929, and in 1930, the company was absorbed by the successor to American Airlines. Margaret? Thank you, Brenda. The brothers, now with aviation mixed in their blood, once again joined together to create the airline company that would eventually span the globe, Brannis Airways, Inc., in November 1930. Once again, the new company was dependent on passenger fares for its continued operation, and with the company in the throes, or the country, rather, in the throes of the Great Depression, finding passengers with money to fill their Lockheed Vega aircraft was not a small task. In fact, the airline was close to collapse when in 1934 it was awarded its first airmail contract between Chicago and Oklahoma City. Government corrupt, corruption rather, literally brought a saving grace to Braniff and the rest of the fledgling airlines that traversed the United States. Braniff Airways now had the support of not only passenger fares, but also guaranteed airmail payments that virtually guaranteed its existence. Captain Harris, well, Margaret, yeah, Margaret. The company began a steady growth while becoming the surviving carrier. That, after merging with two small airlines, that further increased the size of its route system, while strengthening its airmail payments by adding new postal routes. By 1940. The carrier had upgraded to the very popular 21-passenger Douglas DC-3, a twin-engine airliner that revolutionized the entire airline industry and overnight made it a safe and reliable method of transportation. The airline moved its headquarters to Dallas, Love Field, by the summer of 1942, and that had become the central terminus of its core operations, which linked the Great Lakes to Texas. Well, Brennan's growth, along with the rest of the industry, was slowed by the global war, which required the assets of nearly every company in the United States. 
um, in the United States. Let's see, and that specifically included the troop carrying capacity of passenger aircraft. Captain Holder. Well, thank you there, Captain Neal. After the war, Braniff's fortunes would only explode with the company receiving approval to operate between the U.S. mainland and Central America, Cuba, and deep into the South American continent. Four large, large four-engine airplanes, they were large, Douglas DC-4s and DC-6s, were added to the fleet and was specifically purchased for operation over the company's 7,000-mile route system south of the border. An international wording was added to the corporate masthead in 1946. This being called service began from Dallas to Cuba, Central America, and South America on June 4, 1948. And with that little, little abbreviated, Braniff Airways became an international airline of sizable measure. Strangely, Braniff would not be authorized to serve Mexico, though, right there just south of the United States until the 1960s. Although Tom Braniff had operated a small Mexican airline, aerial vessels, or something like that, Braniff, during 1945, uh, that's when it was operating, because of the intercontinental intergovernmental disagreements stemming from uh, the Aviosis Braniff, Braniff Airways was denied the chance to link the United States with its neighbors just to the south. Brenda? Thanks, Captain Jim. Braniff continued to expand its South American route system into the early 1950s, but costs caused the need for a greater subsidy to ensure the airline wasn't losing money, which could affect its domestic operations. The Latin American Division, or LAD, officially never made a cent until 1965. The airline grew again by merger with a small Midwest carrier, Mid-Continent Airlines, based in Kansas City in August 1952. The untimely loss of Braniff's president, Tom Braniff, in a private plane crash in January 1954 saw the first change in management since 1935, 19 years that was, when Paul Revere Braniff left the company to pursue other ventures. An able manager, Charles Edmund Beard, was hired as his replacement with Mr. Beard assuming most of Paul's duties. So, it was Charles Beard who stepped forward to graciously accept the helm in January 1954, now that the company's cherished co-founder was gone. Margaret? Thank you, Brenda. Charles Beard successfully flew Braniff into the jet-powered age in 1959 with the introduction of the Lockheed L-188 Electra four-engine turboprop followed by the pure jet Boeing 707 in December 1959. The airline had expanded operations across the eastern United States to Newark and Washington, D.C., and via an interchange with Eastern Airlines through Miami, which served as another gateway to feed the company's South America system. Earlier in the 1950s, Beard had proposed merging Braniff with Pan American Grace Airways, which at that time was the largest U.S. airline operating in South America, but resistance by the airline's half owner, Pan American, had settled the merger until 1967. Now, after the death of Mr. Braniff, followed by his wife's death in August 1954, 
the ownership of the airline was left to the Blakely Brenna Foundation. And in the early 1960s, the company was sold to a group of Texas Instruments executives, and in 1964, sold again to Great America Insurance Company. The executives of Great America had identified Brennan as a well-run and stable company, but a highly underutilized operation that could, with an overhaul, become a world-class airline that might span the globe. The Great American management was correct, and in less than two years, Braniff became the talk of the town and assumed the throne as king of promotion. Captain Neal? Margaret, Charles Beard announced his intention to retire from Braniff in 1964, November 1964, and a search commenced for a new leader. A leader and a maverick was found in a young Continental Airlines executive vice president, Harding Luther Lawrence, who was responsible for mastering 500% growth at the small trunk airline in the 10 years he was with the airline, all the while being tutored by the magnificent Bob Six, or Robert F. Six. At 44 years of age, Lawrence was one of the youngest airline CEOs in the country. He began looking over the Braniff operation in 19, February 1965, visited every area of the company while taking extensive notes. He was ready to reform Braniff in April 1965 when he assumed the presidency. Brenda? Well, thank you, Neil. Harding Lawrence demanded that a a new promotion and advertising program be designed to catapult Braniff into the world spotlight in a very short period. To help with this, he hired the New York advertising think tank of Jack Tinker and Partners, who was the employer of Mary Wells, who'd made a name for herself on Madison Avenue. Mrs. Wells created a campaign that revolutionized the entire way air, that airlines presented themselves to the public. The end of the plane of the Plain Plane campaign introduced the airline world to Alexander Girard, who designed over 17,000 public contact items, and Emilio Pucci, who designed a space-age-themed couture uniform for ground and flight personnel. Girard was de- designed an amazing palette of bright and vibrant colors that were painted on Braniff's jet aircraft, along with corresponding interiors with bright and colorful seat fabrics. Flying on Braniff was stylish and exciting, and the rest of the industry followed. Hey, hey, Brenda, this is Lou Ann again. You know, they sure was pretty, just like different colored Easter eggs, all them pretty planes. You know, I was thinking, they must have bought all the Mary Carter paint, as I don't think Mary Carter paint is around anymore. You know, they got rich on paint, went into the casino business, and then turned it into Resorts International, as I understand it. I'm sorry, Brenda, to have interrupted you. Go ahead. <laughs> That's okay, Luann. But I think Mary Carter's paint was for houses and not airplanes. Well, they should have used it. As I understand, their paint was a lot cheaper than all them others. <laughs> Let me continue, Luann. The public took notice and applauded Braniff's end to 
Braniff's end to the military-themed presentations that have been an airline hallmark since their founding. With this, Braniff began a nonstop period of record growth in traffic and profits for the next 14 years. The company began flying to Hawaii in 1969, which caused the need for a new Boeing 747 that was delivered in January 1971 and painted bright orange. Not Mary Carter paint, I might add. It became the flagship of the fleet and would fly the airline's inaugural flights to London in 1978, the airline's 50th anniversary year after a two-decade fight to win the authority to fly across the Atlantic. Captain Jim? Thank you, thank you. Brenda and Luann, Alexander Calder was hired in 1972 to paint a full-size McDonnell Douglas DC-8, which became the world's first flying canvas and he repeated the performance again for the America's Bicentennial in 1976, this time on a Boeing 727 Trijet. New vibrant color schemes were added during the 1970s, and Houston designed an amazing line of easy-to-wear and care ground and flight personnel uniforms. Now, the Airline Deregulation Act was signed into law in the fall of 1978, and few airlines had any strategy for competing in a non-regulated environment except Braniff. The company's management felt that the only way for Braniff to survive was to grow and become strong, because in the end, only a small number of large legacy carriers would survive. Braniff took immediate advantage of the new world by adding additional routes and cities, as well as aircraft, to meet the demands. Many of the international routes that Braniff had applied for as far back as 10 years earlier were now being awarded, and the company began expanding its European service in the summer of 1979, and by the fall of the new orange, by fall, the new orange 747s, that's plural, were crossing the Pacific, linking the Orient with South America. Margaret? Captain Jen. Harding Lawrence had transformed Granite once again and was being hailed as the last airline maverick. A new color scheme adopted in 1978 featured deep, dark, and elegant solid colors with warm, light brown leather interiors. The new look embodied the maturing of Granite's International into a truly world-class airline. However, the global and U.S. economic conditions exacerbated by foreign oil markets would not allow Braniff to enjoy its newfound prominence. Virtually, as Braniff began its well-planned expansion, unrest in Iran created a crisis that caused oil prices to explode to unprecedented levels from 1979 through 1981. Changes in the Federal Reserve's monetary policy in 1979 caused interest rates to rise to double-digit levels just as brand of sparkling new Boeing 727s and Boeing 747s were rolling off the line to meet the demands of the company's impressive route system. But Braniff was flying into a storm that no one in the industry except for a confirmed Cassandra believed could ever happen. So Braniff survived for another two years after Harding Lawrence retired in December 1980. 
And in early 1980, he began an immediate program to turn the airline around, which called for reducing capacity by selling unneeded older aircraft and eliminating routes that were now unprofitable because of, of the prevailing economic conditions. The plan was working, and Braniff was poised to ride out the downturn by 1981 or sooner. Unfortunately, Granite continued to be fraught with unbelievable circumstances arising from the beginning of a severe U.S. recession that began in the summer of 1981, followed by a devastating strike of the nation's air traffic controllers. Decisions were made at the company's sleek corporate headquarters on the west side of the Dallas-Fort Worth International Airport that led to the company's eventual end in May 1982. Margaret, Braniff would fly again in March of 1984, but with a return to the military-type presentation that it had fought so hard to shed. In spite of the loss of the industry's high-flying darling, the the legend of Braniff continues forward today because of its deep associations with the art, fashion, and design industries. It is because Braniff brought together the mystery and intrigue of aviation with these existing industries that the airline is still in the public conscience today and will always be remembered and admired by future generations. And as our series is called, Airlines Gone But Not Forgotten. Well, let's talk about what Braniff Airways, Inc. is doing today. Well, actually, the former international airline is now a leading global historic airline branding and marketing, online retail, and historic airliner tour firm, which was originally formed in 1928. Braniff, we're going getting close to 100 years. Uh, Braniff managed a portfolio of licensing agreements worldwide. Manages, that's what they're doing now. The company operates its lucrative Braniff Boutique online retail store at, that sells to 120-plus countries worldwide, along with three brick-and-mortar stores. Braniff also administers its original employee-slash-retiree uh, airline pass benefits program, which offers current and former employees discount travel on partner airlines and travel companies. Braniff All Airways supports Braniff Airways Foundation, which is the official repository for Braniff's historical corporate and employee records, photographs and negatives, and memorabilia. Over 20 million pages of Braniff corporate documents and 40,000 historical items are housed in the Foundation's Braniff International Heritage Archives, which are housed at three locations in Dallas, Texas. Braniff Airways created an endowment at the University of Texas in Dallas to support Braniff's public relations archives, which have been housed in the university's History of Aviation collection since February of 1981. An additional endowment was created to support the administration of Braniff International Heritage Archives. Yes, Braniff has gone from the skies, but not forgotten by any stretch. Braniff International hostess meets you on the airplane. 
should be dressed like this. When she brings you your dinner, she'll be dressed this way. After dinner on those long flights, she'll slip into something a little more comfortable. The airstrip is brought to you by Braniff International, who believes that even an airline hostess should look like a girl. I think that was take it off music. <laughs> it sounded like to me. That was great. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, oh golly, what airlines would go to to get passengers to fly them? Uh, my golly, you, you know I wonder if passengers are really even concerned about uh, what color the airplane is. Uh, um, Eastern, I remember we used to make a big deal, and I thought it was great at the time. But really, I don't know whether passengers even opened and looked at. Uh, the editorials of the uh, the seat pockets uh, that uh, contained not only burp bags but also uh, we had an in-flight magazine I like to look at. I used to advertise in it, as a matter of fact. But uh, I remember that you turn the cover and open the magazine, and the first thing you saw was the Eastern's editorial about how safe Eastern's airplanes were. And I often wondered, you know, the the passengers really even care. It's it's the cost of that seat to get from point A to point B, it seems to me. Any discussion from you guys here about that's my opinion. I don't know about you guys. Anybody? I think I think, Neil, um it depended. Like my airline back in well, I flew nineteen eighty one to its demise, I think it was nineteen eighty eight or eighty nine, Ward Air. It was known as first-class service for every passenger on board the 747. And, I mean, it really was. It had the uh, Royal Dalton China. There were no carts in the aisle. It, it was all hand-served on trays on silver platters. Um, this sort of stuff. People loved it. Like coming out of England, they had their cream teas, you know, with the scones with clotted cream and jam and in the afternoon after their lunch and before their dinner so i we became known for that and i think people would always try and fly ward air uh from canada over to europe began to hawaii because of that so i think there was interest in the passengers as far as the service level and of course the the visuals of the aircraft meaning it's clean it's bright often have passengers relate to that means safety. So in that vein, I do think they cared. That's my two well, cents. <laughs> well, Brenda, what about the, the hot pants and the uh, and the boots? <laughs> well, in I, that I guess... day, I mean, you know, it was laughing on TV, and it was a culture, right? It, it was something, and I guess maybe it did a bit. Well, it must have, because look at their um, – their yeah. dollar, you know, they just and national too. So they yeah. made a splash. Yeah, they did yeah. a splash. Well, I'm going to ask Luann to put her two cents in. Luann, what do you think about all this color and glamour and strip music and what have you to sell an airline? What's your thoughts? Well, you know, I just 
fly on a little airplane. But um, I, I do remember the brand of colors, though. Uh, didn't they call that orange one Fat Albert? <laughs> yeah. Was that brand yeah. of Fat Albert, I think? Yeah. yeah. I do remember that one. And, and I do have a story later on, but I don't want to spoil it by talking about it too much right now. But, you know, we have our little red airplane. And, uh, you know, we tell you that you can fly with us once, and it's like the same old thing over and over and over. So you don't get seven times and fly different colors twice, you know. But anyway, um, we just actually try to give service. But I kind of think in a way it's all about me because I've been the, the stewardess flight attendant for a long time, and I'm just going to toot my own horn because I do want one of them fly me Luann commercials. But anyway, um, yeah, we give everybody the same treatment. Uh, I wish we had the Dalton China branded, but we just got paper plates, you know, <laughs> like that. So, but we try harder, you know, and, and we never have too much or too many bad people on the plane. And I think we ought to do a show on that sometime, you know, because we had a couple, and I'm sure all of us oh. have, and I'd like to learn about that. I think that'd be fun. Yeah, and Lou, yeah, I'd I love guess, to hear it too. I, I guess, yeah. Luann, you guys served your, your drinks on the fine crystal of Dixie cups, huh? <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey. We just ones the plastic ones with stems on them. I mean, we ain't too countryfied. You know, we have some finesse about us, you know, and we give everybody the same soup beans and cornbread and, you know, things like that. And, you know, as I mentioned earlier, we don't let people light up or light candles because, boy, we had an incident one time where somebody let a little toot and the whole plane almost blew up, you know, because them soup beans work on the <laughs> But anyway, I've talked enough. I'd like to hear the other host talk. How about it, Jim? Jim Harris is with us. Jim, what do you think of all this? I'm just listening mostly. Um, I think primarily people simply just want a nice, safe, expeditious trip and uh, have everything going the way it should. I think that's what everybody really wanted. Yeah. How would you have? How would you have felt with all the flying colors? They were like Easter eggs, like Luann said earlier in the program. Easter eggs. Well, and, I was not impressed. I didn't okay. like it particularly. So I, I tell you, the pretty pretty scheme, scheme we ever had was the hockey stick with Eastern Airlines. Yes, yeah. there you go. I thought that was right. gorgeous. Yeah, yeah, very good. Area code nine zero eight. Who might that be? 908, that would be me, Sharon Moore. Hey, Sa Sharon? Hi, Sharon. 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 <laughs> okay. I was an Eastern flight attendant from 1967 to the very end. And wow. I did fly some yeah. interchange, so I, I'm enjoying this conversation. You flew the Braniff interchanges out of Atlanta over to Memphis and uh, – that type of interchange I did too, and I think Jim Holder and Jim Harris, you guys must have also uh, flown those for Braniff aircraft and the Braniff interchange. Yes, I did. Yeah, I did too, and I took one all the way to Seattle. And I got to tell you about that one later on here. <laughs> okay. I like to hear yeah. that one. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, we got a, uh, a Facebook uh, post from uh, someone from last week's show that uh, we did on uh, Pan Am and National, and it's from Donald Malik, and he said I flew with a national uh, from uh, with a navigator from Pan Am on a Convair 990 uh, out of Ames Research rainy landings in Manila Bay he remembers and he forgot the names and so forth but but at any rate we did get a few comments on Facebook and I think I've done these before and um, I'd like to well I was going to share a story but we've already talked about flying the Braniff Interchange I think the first airplane I got in and you guys remember you captains and pilots out there listening, flight engineers, you guys remember that uh, we carried a separate section in our flight manual uh, that uh, dealt with the differences between the Eastern 727s and the Braniff 727s. Do you recall that? Yeah, we sure yeah. did. And you had to sign some piece of paper that said you read it before you could comply. <laughs> and you, it was sort of boring. The panel wasn't exactly uh, duplicated on the airplanes. There were a few switches that were in different locations, and mm -hmm. you had to go looking mm -hmm. for them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, well, let know. me tell you about my Seattle flight. It doesn't take very long, so that's all right, Bill. Yes, sir. Go ahead. All right. Well, I did, like Jim Harris said, fly Memphis over to Memphis and back on Braniff airplanes. And, but this thing here, Easton was doing maintenance for for Braniff, and you had to get the airplane down to Miami somehow. So we would have a crew fly it from Seattle to wherever, you know, and get it on down there. And then somebody had to fly it back. And I guess maybe I only did this once. And uh, we flew from uh, Atlanta to St. Louis, and then St. Louis nonstop to Seattle. And we had uh, Eastern flight attendants, Eastern pilots, and everything. And this airplane, it had some wheel problems or something. I don't know, because we took off out of Atlanta going to St. Louis. It vibrated quite a bit, and we wondered about that. Now, this airplane, I never saw another one like it, but it had what appeared to be purple carpet, red, ruby red carpet hanging down from the overheads where you put the bags and everything. And that stuff, and they had some other stuff. It did not look like it was an airplane. And the flight, said, flight attendant told us on takeoff it had such vibration. I think they had a bone tire or something. I don't know, boy, but it shook and shook and shook. And they said it looked like a, a house of ill repute going down the runway with all these things flopping <laughs> in the breeze up there. And I was looking around scared and everything. And we thought, we thought it was sort of bad in the cockpit, too. But, you know, it's a long road on going to Seattle out of St. Louis. But we got the thing in the air, and we were all the way up there. that We have some kind of blown tire or something. So we told him you might want to come out and take a look at it when we landed. And, uh, and it, it didn't do it as bad on landing as it did on takeoff. But I'll tell you one thing. Flight attendants said... They just were certainly glad we weren't flying that airplane anywhere else. And that was my one time flying a, 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 a airplane that looked like a house to build a big pute. What a flight attendant said. <laughs> they, they didn't call it a house to build a pute. They called it something that started with a W. 
And he says, the cankid, the cankid, it's above you, right above you, it's the cankid. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> and, of course, that airplane was in Miami before we ever even thought about Jacksonville. <laughs> yeah, really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's funny. Oh, that's cute. Yeah, go ahead, Sorry. Brenda. I was just going to say, I think we all remember um, Braniff. I remember just knowing it as the colored mm-hmm. fleet, you know, it had all the yeah. the colors. And, yeah, amazing. Well, you know, during deregulation, correct me if I'm wrong, I, I used to uh, think about uh, Braniff and how they uh, their business plan was to go everywhere, colored eggs uh, with wings, and um, and fly every airport, but they only came in one time a day, and when they came in, they left, and that was it until the next day or the next week. So they were hitting every uh, airport they could possibly hit. Do you remember that, Jim? No frequency of service. No. None. How about turn this thing off here? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I'm sorry. I just got distracted from, from this <laughs> telephone thing here. That well, I hit a button and it quit. I don't know what it was. I got a little short brand of thing if you want me to finish with it. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> my my new hire class, now this has nothing to do with airplane, but it's, when, when you talked about brand of, this is what I wanted to tell first, this brand of story. My new hire class had a guy from Texas, had two guys, well, they had a bunch of guys from Texas, but had two guys, one of them ended up being one of my best friends, and he knew this other guy, and we got hired to be C7 co-pilots and everything, and he got sent, this is the other guy, I can't even remember his name, to tell you the truth, he got sent to New York, well, he didn't like New York one bit up there, after about six months, he told Easton goodbye, and he went back to Texas, and he went to work for Brannock. And, you know, now we all thinking, well, he's going to be captain before we do, or we going to be the captain, you know, would he do a good thing? Did he do this and all that kind of stuff? And one time, about a year and a half later, my good friend, his good friend, who was my good friend, called me up and said, I got a clone call the other day. And he said this guy's name, and I, I can't remember. He said, well, what's he doing? He said, How's he doing at Brannock or something like that? And, uh, and, and he said, well, he don't know about that, but he's sitting in the front porch watching this oil well about 400 feet down into his pasture, pumping oil out. And he said, every time it goes up and down, I make a hundred dollars. <laughs> and that guy, I don't know how much money he made for Brandon, but he sure as hell made a lot of money. They discovered oil on his property, and he just sit oh, there and watch that thing go up and down, up and down. There we are, still on first year pay. You know, she ain't even afford a hot dog. And that guy pumping. <laughs> he was, and I don't he know that saying, anything about Brandon except he went with Brandon. He's probably making captain's pay too at Brandon by then. Jim, every time that <laughs> arm went up and down, he'd say "kachink, kachink, kachink, kachink." I forgot the guy's name. He seemed like a nice fella, but he was a good old Texas boy. I'll tell you that. Oh boy. me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh yeah, he did. To... He, I, he did. I remember it. He did get a stagger wing beach. He made so much money, he went out and bought a stagger wing beach. I forgot this. So just right now, I remembered it. 
And he called my friend, you know, his friend, and said he he had enough enough fuel to go a hundred miles, but the airport was hundred ten miles, and he crashed his tiger ring beat, <laughs> oh, ran it out of gas. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and that's a pretty expensive airplane too, you know. Oh golly, yeah. Uh, and that's what the that's story. That's he he ran it out of gas. Yeah. That's yeah. why I forgot Jim Harris is a good old Texas boy. Now, anyhow. Oh, you yeah. I'm an well in your, You got an oil well in your backyard, Jim Harris? I wish I did. I sure wish I did now at, at $4.5 <laughs> a gallon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> a stagger wing beast now is a lots of money. They've always been a lot of money, but they're really a lot of money. Now, a friend of mine, yeah. uh, somehow he, he has operating rights of one of them. It's a beautiful yeah, airplane. Beautiful it's airplane. One of, beautiful it's airplane. one of the few I'd like to own. Yeah. yeah. It's a pretty P-51. airplane. P-51. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. Well, it don't glide very good, I guess. I don't know. No, nah, probably not. It became a glider. It became a glider. But it's flat land well, right there. He, uh, he violated one of my rules. He didn't take enough fuel to get there. Yes. <laughs> That's a good thing. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, you you guys probably have heard of Tom Mayberry if you work for Eastern Airlines. Oh yes, oh, Uncle Tom yes. Mayberry. Oh yeah. Yeah, Uncle Tom would always Tom. pull up to the gas pumps with his airplane, say, "Fill them up and give me the green stamps." Yep. And he, and he also said, "The only time you eat more, don't do not need more fuel fuels when your own fire." And he meant that's it. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. I and heard him say heard one fire. time. Yeah. <laughs> on far, that's right. On, on don't, far. As long as they're not, they're on far. Well, talking about Eastern, we're going to do our last show in this series. It's been fun doing uh, the ones that we've done, and um, we could go we're on the because Ward there Air. are many. They're high, Ward Air. I said, but, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> well, you know, there are so many that we could do because uh, I know there's so many that have passed on, and you don't hear from them, but uh, we're going to stop with our last one next week, which will be Eastern Airlines. Pay tribute, and we've got a few folks, uh, this uh, host that can talk a lot about Eastern Airlines. And I'm sure Jim Harris, you might be able to add a few words oh, yes. about uh, your favorite airline. <laughs> oh, it's near and dear to my heart. Yeah. So uh, at any rate, and then after that, we're going to take a summer's break. Huh? Just telling the crew before yeah. we go be a paid the air. Vacation? Go, yeah, paid vacation. <laughs> Checks in the mail. Good. I'll, I'll be calling in then. <laughs> I'll take my in Jacksonville next week. <laughs> yeah, you'll be over here. We'll be talking about uh, a, a, another radio show. Yeah, there you go. But yep. uh, it's been fun having you guys. Uh, I hope uh, you guys have a good summer coming up. And um, Lou Ann, it's about your time to fly us out of here. So, uh, mm-hmm. what you got to say, Lou Ann? I'd be, I would be happy to do that. But I, um, or I'm sorry, this is Margaret. I'd be happy to turn it over to Lou Ann. But I just wanted to say, on my one and only Brana flight back uh-huh. from LA to uh, Chicago, I was butt smacked in first class oh. by Tony Tennille of Captain and Tennille. Oh, so, wow. you know, Yeah, you know, Captain and Tennille, Muskrat Love, yeah. do it to me yeah. one more time. Yeah, yeah. he was walking down the uh, aisle, and I was had my eyes closed, and all of a sudden I got butt smacked, and I went forward, uh. 
And I thought, who's trying to fight me? So I looked up, and I just kept looking up. She's uh, actually 5'11". I'm 5'8", but she's got three inches on me. And I thought, oh, my gosh. And it took me a while, and she said, how about I sing a song for you, Must Grant Love? And I'm like, oh, my Lord, Tony Peniel, you must smack me any day of the week. But anyway, that's my talk. All right. Wow. Well. Okay. It's time for us to slide on out of here. Um, And our next show is going to be about Eastern Airlines, as Captain Neil told you, gone but not forgotten. Now, that ought to be a good one, as several of our hosts know something about her, Eastern Airlines. Well, it's time for Merle Haggard to sing us on out of here with the silver wings. Cover your ears, Captain Jim, number two. I know this stays with you. I shall, I shall. Oh, oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, listen, thank you all for being who, who you all are. Well, we it's thank a great all privilege to know you. Yes. All right. It has been fun. Been fun. Thank you, Brenda. And uh, go you. Silverliners. Go Silverliners. Say something quick about yes. Silverliners, Brenda. TheSilverliners.org. www.thesilverliners.org. Join us. All right. All right. Very good. <laughs> all Have right. a great week, y'all. I'll talk to you next week. They're taking you away, leaving me lonely, silver wings, slowly fading out of sight. Don't leave me, I cry, don't take that airplane ride. But you locked me out of your mind And left me standing here behind Silver wings Shining in the sunlight Roaring Headed somewhere in flight they're taking, taking you, you away, leaving me lonely, silver wings, slowly fading out of sight. Taking you away and leaving me lonely, silver wings, slowly fading out of sight. Yeah. Much fun. Bye.
Bye.